Are you really blind? Yes, chef, I am. Gee, you cause a stir out there, literally. Yeah, I didn't mean it, actually. Some hot water for celebrity chef facing some payback. Everyone thought, how is this girl going to cook blind? <sighs> You're going to be judged like everybody else in this competition. Yes, chef. Reggie, come here. Come here. Stop that what we're serving. Get a grip and wake up. What kind of a gives a live crab to the blind chick. No one ever really thought that it could be this big. We did not grant her any advantages. Are you stupid? I hate his face. I want to prove you did try to screw me. I'm sorry, can you tell me where I had put the green onion? Green onion. Still in the bowl? And maybe he really wants her out. Get out! I really loved cooking, but I thought it was going to be something I would have to give up. I really have mad respect for that lady. I don't like her. She's weak. I think Christine will win this. As you know, there can only be one winner. Welcome back, everyone, to Diary of an Empath. My next guest, I'm super excited. Her name is Christine Ha. She is a chef, a writer, and a TV host, and she's most known for her time on MasterChef Season 3, in which she won the season and was the first blind contestant to ever be on the show. Christine, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm super humbled. I was super inspired by your story, so I'm, I'm really excited to have this conversation today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So one thing that stood out about your story when I was reading it, I found it really beautiful and inspiring, the inspiration and the connection that you had with your mom who passed away when you were young. Tell me about that connection and how did that inspire you in your life? Well, growing up, I obviously ate a lot of great home cooking from my mom, but I was never interested in food or cooking while growing up. I think I just took her being around for granted and thinking that she would you know, be around for a long time. So I never bothered to learn any dishes from her, learn cooking or spend more time in the kitchen with her. And it wasn't until I went to college that I realized I really did miss the foods that she cooked while I was growing up. And so sort of as a way to keep her spirit alive and her memory alive in the kitchen, I decided to teach myself how to cook the dishes that I grew up eating from her simply by memory and kind of reading traditional Vietnamese recipes and cookbooks and and then tweaking them according to how I remember my mom uh, cooking certain dishes or how they tasted. And so for me, she's always been sort of this long lost inspiration in the kitchen for me. I love that. Yeah, that's one thing I think for me, because I am I have a Brazilian and a Palestinian background and food is very cultural. It's something that brings us together. And one thing from my mom that I can say is the cooking will always stand out. And that's something that kind of molded with how I cook. And I remember the smells in the house and it br brought back a lot of good memories. I think food traditionally with certain cultures, it represents more than just food. It's more than just the fact of eating the food. It's bringing people together. It's It's showing love. It's the smells, it's the memory. So I, I love that you kept that tradition alive with your mom. I know that you were diagnosed with an autoimmune disease that affected your vision as an adult. Take me back to that time. What were you feeling? Because I know that it must have been really difficult for you going through such a dramatic change, especially as an adult. Yeah, it simultaneously happened around the same time that I started really getting into cooking and teaching myself how to cook in college. So I remember I was in my third year of college and I noticed that one of my eyes 
of the vision and it went blurry. And I, of course, assumed at the time that it was my contact lens. So I cleaned it, put it back in. My vision was still blurry. I changed it out for another disposable lens. It was still blurry. I went to an optometrist and they did all the usual eye tests and eye exams there and turned out that it was uh, so I was told that it was actually something neurological. And initially, they suspected it could be something like a brain tumor. So imagine, I guess, at 20 years old, hearing something like as uh, chronic or as scary as a brain tumor is not something one would expect to hear in young adulthood. Um, fortunately, it wasn't a brain tumor, but it still was something that was life-changing. And it took a while because I was originally misdiagnosed with MS uh, because the diseases are quite similar. But uh, it took a few years before I was correctly diagnosed with what's called neuromyelitis optica, which is a similar disease where the immune system attacks the nervous system. So for me, it primarily affected my optic nerves. Uh, sometimes it does affect my spinal cord as well, but I've been able to recover very well from all of the spinal cord inflammation, but not so much from the optic nerve inflammation. So that's how I gradually lost my vision in my 20s. How do you prepare for something like that? Because I know that that must have been very difficult because I can't imagine as an adult being able to see and then being told, well, you know, this is not going to last and your your vision is eventually going to decline. How do you even start to prepare? What did you do? Side note, did you guys know that I'm not only a therapist, but I'm also a professional tarot reader? It's not exactly me hovering over a crystal ball telling your future it's a tool to connect with your guides and your higher self to help you in certain areas of your life. Tarot genuinely changed my life and it can potentially change yours too. Click on the link in this podcast for more info. Okay, back to the podcast. I don't really think there is a way to prepare. I think it's it's one of those things where you don't really know how you're going to get through it until you go through it yourself. And I think no matter how much Perhaps, you know, if I was fortunate enough to know other people with NMO at the time, which I did not, even if other people told me about their experiences, it's not really something that can prepare you. I think you can arm yourself with as much scientific knowledge and clinical knowledge about your the disease, but you really don't know how you're going to handle it emotionally, mentally, physically, because everyone's path is different with every uh, illness, I believe. So I, I wouldn't say that I was able to prepare. I think I just kind of, my coping mechanism was to take it sometimes a day at a time, sometimes even an hour at a time or minute by minute, and then just try to get through each day, each hour, each minute, and then kind of looking back and and thinking, okay, well, I survived that minute, like what's next? And then eventually, I guess my, my nature to persevere and, and to just be very determined to be as independent as possible, I was just very set on the road to recovery and learning new adaptive skills to live independently. You're very resilient. And that's one thing that I notice a trend just watching the show, listening to your story, even watching previous interviews that you've done, your resiliency really stands out. Where do you think that comes from? Do you think that you've always been resilient? Is that something that you saw in your parents? I think it's a little bit of both. I think part of it is in my DNA. So I guess maybe from my parents, I think part of it is also being a product of my parents being, you know, them being Vietnamese refugees who left everything behind in Vietnam and came to America right after the war with nothing in their pockets and having to start their lives anew here in a foreign country. So I think in some ways, just 
learning from them and their background and, and their upbringing, learning that resilience from them and that determination. And then, and then I guess not only being a, a child of theirs, but just being brought up in that sort of environment where I learned that hard work can pay off and that nothing in life comes easily. So you have to work hard for it. And yes, there are such things as opportunities like being in the right place at the right time or meeting the right person at the right time. That definitely helps. But at the same time, I think I was very much learned from a young age that you forge your own future and your destiny. I love that. That's beautiful. And your story is evidence of that. And so I think that that's amazing. So take me back when you decided I'm going to go on MasterChef or I'm going to try to go on the show. How did this happen? What made you want to go on the show? Were you already cooking? Was this something that you already kind of had a love for or was this something that was very new to you? I'm very curious how this process happened. Yeah. I mean, I'd been cooking for quite a few years. So at the time, this was maybe several years into my love for cooking. So I learned to cook again with less and less vision. And I was in graduate school at the time. I was going back to school for a degree in creative writing. So being in the arts, I always say like artists try to experience life as much as possible to feed their creativity. And MasterChef happened to be auditioning in a nearby town. And you know, at this point, I was really into cooking as just a hobby, but I was cooking for my friends, my family, uh, without sight. And a lot of them encouraged me to audition for the show because they thought my story was special, that uh, the nation should hear about someone who's visually impaired and how they can cook in the kitchen. So for me, I was encouraged by my friends and family, but I didn't really go expecting to get far or uh, to win even. I really just went for the experience so that I thought I would be able to come home and have like a humor essay or a story to write about. So for me, I went for selfish reasons for graduate school just to experience it, but uh, not really expecting to win or to get far. Um, but I just really went at the encouragement of my friends and my family. And you did, and you got super far, and you ended up winning the whole show. When you first got on the show, day one, take me back to that day. What was going through your mind? <laughs> well, I remember going to LA and being in the top 100, and there were obviously 99 other contestants around, and everyone was super into cooking and everyone wanted to be on television and everyone wanted to win. And I was just kind of this nonchalant contestant that was there. Like, you know, when people were like, you know, are, how are you going to cook? And I was like, well, I'm going to use a knife myself and use the stove myself. And I think a lot of the other contestants were in disbelief and they just really could not fathom someone who's visually impaired cooking in the kitchen independently. And for me, you know, I've been cooking for many years with even without vision. And so for me, it just seemed very natural. So I was kind of stunned that all of these other people had no idea how someone with vision impairment could cook. Uh, so I'm sure a lot of people doubted me. I think a lot of people thought I was a gimmick and thought I was called there to, um, they probably thought I was like an actress or something to just make the show more interesting and bring ratings up. Mm -hmm. um, but I was very nonchalant. And I was just there to learn and meet people and relatively a reserved person. So I was kind of just there observing other people. And of course, because I can't see, it was a lot of overstimulation. Like I didn't know how anyone looked and there's like a hundred voices I was trying to get used to um, mm -hmm. and learn the names of, but everyone was really just very competitive. And for me, I was just kind of along for the ride, not really knowing what to expect, but just kind of there for the experience. 
I remember when I when I saw one of the shows. I think it was the the beginning opening episode, and Gordon Ramsay watches like I, his face when you're coming out. He just looked very like stunned, confused, a little like curious as well. When when you first came out and you made that first dish for them, were you nervous or were you were you just like whatever happens <laughs> happens? Because looking at at your oh, face, no. looking at the judges, it was amazing. Nervous is the like uh, downplaying it. I was incredibly <laughs> nervous. I remember my palms are sweating, you know, and even though I said like I was only there for the experience and not really expecting to win, of course, I'm still competitive. And of course, nerves can still set in. And, and you know, who really wants to be judged, especially by someone like Gordon Ramsay for right. their food. So <laughs> I was definitely nervous. I was definitely scared. But part of me just knew like, well, I'm going to try my best. And if I get an apron and and they let me continue on, then great. And if not, then it wasn't meant to be. So I did have that mentality. I think I had a fairly healthy mentality. Of course, I wanted the apron, but I knew that, you know, if they sent me home, then it just wasn't meant to be. I love that. Yeah, I was watching that episode and I'm just like, oh, this is going to be so interesting. But I love, I just love how it was so surprising to them. It's almost like they were just so... (laughs) shocked and so curious at the same time. And as you went through these episodes, you just seem to prove them wrong. One episode in particular that I want to talk about that really stood out, and I think that you'll remember this uh, very easily, is the crab episode. And I remember specifically one person saying, like, what kind of guy gives a live crab to the blind girl? <laughs> and for for those that are listening who haven't seen this uh, show or this episode, um, it was a episode where another contestant got to choose what the other contestants were going to cook. And he chose to give Christine a live crab to cook with. So take me back to that. What were you thinking? How did you maneuver that? I I wasn't surprised that I was given the live crab. And I think a lot of people were like really shocked uh, on the show that that Ryan would give me the live crab. But for me, I actually felt kind of flattered because I felt like he took me as serious competition and Mm -hmm. knew that it would be to my disadvantage to give me a live crab. So for me, it I felt like it was a smart move on his on his behalf. And I don't, you know, detest him at all for that. I think it was a smart play. Uh, I remember, though, thinking that I was probably the only contestant that would have preferred the canned crab over the live crab, because (laughs) that would have been a lot easier for me to manage. And I knew exactly what I would do with canned crab. But of course, uh, what's a competition without these sorts of crazy challenges. So uh, mm-hmm. I knew I had to deal with this live crab. And I'm, you know, once my head is in the game, I'm just kind of 100% going forward and just ran with it and figured I'll try my best. And uh, I had no idea, though, that that I, I think I was told later, very recently, when I rewatched that episode that the crab actually had rubber bands on its pinchers, and I had no idea. So oh I was, God. of course, very scared uh, <laughs> to try to get that crab uh, cooked and, and prepared to in a dish, but it was nerve wracking, but I have worked with live crab before, but I think it's, Mm -hmm. it's a different animal when you're doing that on television with cameras and people watching. Yeah, I I bet I was on the edge of my seat rooting for you. I'm like, Oh my God, what is going to happen? And I, there were so many times watching this show where I cried with you, I laughed with you. And so I think, (laughs) I think so much of your energy and just who you are is so relatable. Do you feel like being not only an Asian American woman, but also 
um, a, a person with a disability, do you feel like that has maybe changed the way that we look at individuals who are in these types of roles, such as, you know, being a chef or doing things that are not typical of one with disabilities or even minority? I, I think my my platform and and just my being in the public eye definitely has helped. I still think society has a long way to go um, mm-hmm. in regards to giving equal treatment to people with who are not like them, whether it's being a different ethnicity or nationality or different religion or um, sexual orientation or ability versus disability. I think, you know, we still have a long way to go, but I think uh, I would like to think that I've somewhat in some small way contributed to moving uh, society more towards an open mind. I think towards people that are not like them and being able to do things that people perhaps once thought was not possible. Yeah, I love that. I agree. Because I think that even just watching the show, people were very curious. And I think even watching you to see, well, how is she going to maneuver this? How is she going to do this? And it just seems like time and time again, even though you had these disabilities, you were still up to par and these competitions, I mean, you were so competitive and everyone knew that, but it just seemed like no matter what you did, you always did things your best. And I think that that really showed through your food, through your work ethic, and even your your attitude and your humbleness, because that goes a long way too. I, I think that's what I really enjoyed about watching you was just the way that you talk to other people, the way that you handled things. And, you know, I think a lot of people can, can learn from that. I I know there's a lot of things on TV that we don't always see. There's things that are edited and cut down, but you know, I I really really enjoy just your attitude towards life. Do you think that going through what you went through changed your outlook on on life or how you view the world? Well, first of all, I appreciate you um, saying those nice words about me. Um, secondly, I guess to answer your question, I I do think that having gone through a lot of the challenges that I've dealt with in life from losing my mom when I was young to being diagnosed with a, you know, life-changing autoimmune condition to losing my vision and then going on to compete in something like MasterChef that was pretty cutthroat. I, I feel like all of these challenges in life have changed my character in a way that is much more positive and better, meaning I've become a much more compassionate person. I think I'm stronger in many ways. And I feel like I, in some ways, have gained a certain amount of wisdom, I think, and having gone through the stuff I've I've gone through. So for me, I think my outlook and my attitude has changed. I find that I appreciate much more so the small things and the small joys in life, like something as simple as just a really good uh, comforting meal or a nice glass of wine or laughing with my friends or my family or petting my dog. I think these things like they used to be things that we don't really think twice about, but I think when you've gone through some pretty harrowing experiences in life and realizing that, Hey, it's these small things in life that bring so much joy that really make life great to live. And, and I think these experiences have made me change my attitude and and look more towards the positive things in life. 
I think that's beautiful because sometimes we go through life and it's it, we're sometimes the main characters in our own story and we forget that there are other people that have gone through a lot of things too, but it can be really difficult to see the light in certain situations that seem very dark. And I look mm-hmm. back in some of my life at, you know, when I went through a divorce, I was in the military and I was transitioning out and I felt like my whole world was falling apart. But if I didn't go through that, I wouldn't be the person that I am today in terms of the mother I am, the entrepreneur that I am, you know, a lot of the things that drove me and even to look at life differently and to appreciate family time and to appreciate the downtime that I have to appreciate when my daughter is still young instead of, you know, letting life pass me by. And all of those things that led up to that taught me that when you were on the show, was there any particular moment that you think of when you're looking back at it that stands out for you? What was that one pivotal moment during your time there that you remember? Definitely one of the moments is probably the most famous moment I have on the show, which is my apple pie challenge. And it was an episode and a moment that I think so many people remember because it was a moment when I felt like I hit the bottom and I really didn't know how well or not well I performed in this challenge. So uh, to sum it up, I basically was part of a pressure test where I had to bake an apple pie and I recall not putting my pie in the oven until there were only 18 minutes left in the challenge. And that's usually not enough time to bake a pie. And baking, if you can imagine when you're visually impaired, is not something that's easy because I cannot see how something is looking in the oven. I don't know if it's burning unless I start smelling it, which by then it's too late. Uh, You can't really taste a dish halfway through baking. Um, and Mm. you know, pastries are not my forte. It's not something I love doing. It's very, uh, oftentimes baking is very much an exact science and that's usually not the way I like to think or cook. So I surely thought that my pie was going to be at the bottom. And then when I brought it up for the judges to try, I remember they were all surprised. Even all the other contestants were surprised that, I mean, not only was it not the worst pie in the room, but it was actually a pretty good one. And and Gordon was able to pull a slice of pie out intact. And, and, uh, you know, he told me that it, it was a pivotal moment for me because he told me that I need to start believing in myself. And I remember all the tears came and I think it's, you know, just a product of being very stressed out in these challenges, you know, going through the show, we're sequestered from our our families. So we're kind of living in hotel rooms. So I was homesick. I was tired. I was stressed. And and I think these words were just very much welcome because I was suffering from so much self-doubt because only a few years before being on the show, I had my vision had decreased the level it was at that point. So I had just recently gone back to to grad school for something that I had never studied before. I had recently just learned to walk around with a, a white cane. I recently learned to read Braille. So all of this was new to me. So I was suffering from a lot of self-doubt and having low uh, self-confidence in, in what I was able to do. So I think that moment when Gordon said that something I thought I had done so poorly and had actually done well, it was a very pivotal moment. Uh, and it's something I quote to this day. And I always tell other people too that, you know, we as human beings are much more resilient than we often give ourselves credit for. And yes. uh, oftentimes I think we need to really stop doubting ourselves because we're always our own worst uh, critic and that we need to start believing in ourselves. And And that's when you start building that confidence to be willing to take risks. And when you take risks, that's when the most rewards can come. 
I remember that episode. I cried with you. <laughs> I was I was so touched by that because I felt your pain. I'm such an empath. So for me, I, I feel what other people feel. And in that moment, God, I felt everything you felt. I felt the stress. I felt the relief. And I, I think to speak to what you said, and you make great, amazing points, is that sometimes we do self-doubt ourselves, And I'm guilty of it. I've had imposter syndrome. Sometimes I still deal with imposter syndrome, even with my podcast, even with the things that I know I've been doing for a long time or the things that I know that I've had evidence of success. Sometimes I still self-doubt and, and wonder am I really good enough? Is this something I really should mm-hmm. be doing? And so I think those are amazing points that we oftentimes forget that we are very resilient as as, a, as humans and as individuals. And a lot of times too, I think that we are exposed to social media. We're exposed to a lot of negativity. You may have people around mm-hmm. you that are supportive or not supportive, and you may have to reevaluate those things. But to your point, I think that you are extremely resilient. And in that moment, I felt everything that you felt. And I was just so happy. I was like, I'm so glad the pie is amazing. And (laughs) I was just, I was happy for you. So going back to when you're cooking, especially during the show, do you feel like having the disability gave you any type of advantage in terms of maybe other senses, in terms of your smell or your taste that other contestants don't? Because a lot of people say, well, you had a disadvantage because of your disability, but do you think that you had any advantage because of it? That's a great question. I do think, yes, I did come into the challenges and the competition with a disadvantage, but I was able to eventually think of my disability as an advantage. And what I mean by that is, yes, for one thing, I do think that I was able to taste very small nuances in a in a dish or a bite better than perhaps my sighted co-contestants. But I think more so the fact that I couldn't see, I was less distracted by what the other people were cooking at their station. And what I mean by that is I was able to focus much more on my own cooking, on my own dish, and I didn't really veer from that path. So once I had a plan, I went with that plan uh, in in terms of what dish I wanted to cook for that challenge. And of course, like maybe things don't always work out, like maybe something didn't solidify correctly or whatever. And I do have to change my course or my plan of that dish, but I'm not distracted by what other people are cooking. And I think what I mean by that is like, for example, uh, sometimes I would hear some of the other contestants look over and think like, oh, so-and-so's using this really high-end ingredient or, oh, they're really showing off with this technique. I need to step up my game. And then they they kind of second-guess themselves and change up their dish like halfway through the challenge. And then they end up not finishing it because they're trying something that they're, they don't know how to do or whatever. And they kind of psych themselves out. And for me, I was never really put in that position because I never knew what anyone else was cooking and I only paid attention to what I was doing at my own station. So I think in the end, that served as uh, an advantage because not being able to see allowed me to focus only on what was in front of me. I love that. I almost wonder if for you, it's easier to get into what they call a flow state, which is really like that hyper focus because you're right. You don't have as many distractions because I know if it was me, I would be distracted at everything. I have ADD. So I would be looking around and the time would probably go past me. It takes me like all day just to clean my house. (laughs) Um, Looking back at your entire experience, what did you learn from this? If you had to take away a piece of information or something that helped you to grow, what would you say that was? I think 
the one of the main things I learned was really about myself and I think human nature in general is that like I'd mentioned before that we're our own worst critic and a lot of us suffer from imposter syndrome and I think especially being an Asian American woman with a disability I feel like imposter syndrome is sort of such a obvious part of that identity that I think that going through something like a challenge like MasterChef it really allowed me to I think blossom and and understand that although I may not be the best uh, at every challenge there are still things that I can contribute and I think that's what's important to remember is that coming out of something like MasterChef I think there's a balance that we always need to acknowledge that we don't know everything. Um, I think that part of that is just being humble and and not always feeling like you're at the top of your game and that you know everything. Because I feel like if you you feel like if you don't have anything else to learn, then you're not really alive anymore. So I think you should always be open to learning and criticism, but at the same time, uh, understand that we do have strengths and things to contribute. Otherwise, we wouldn't be invited to speak about the things that we we know about, or we wouldn't be invited to be on a podcast or, you know, so I think a lot of these things, it's like, it's learning to balance humility and the openness and willingness to learn with the self-confidence to be willing to take risks if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, I love that. I think that's so spot on. And I think that everybody listening needs to take those little nuggets of wisdom with them. I know I will, because it's so true in so many ways. Would you change anything looking back at your time there? If there was anything you could do differently, would you? (sighs) Part of me, I would want to say, I wish I didn't take things so seriously. But I guess like, if I didn't, maybe I wouldn't have gone as far as I did. Uh, But I think like I, I really allowed myself to get so stressed out about a competition. And, and I mean, it's in my nature to be very competitive uh, and to always want to perform the best possible way that I can. So I, you know, I think that's just part of me naturally, but I I wish looking back at not just the competition, but life in general, that I wish uh, I didn't take things so seriously. And I guess just, to be able to laugh more and make a joke out of a lot of things. Cause I, I do find that now I think laughter is so important. And sometimes you just need to learn to, to make jokes and make light of things in order to, to cope in a way, like not to say like you need to mask it. Like, of course there are, are true deep human emotions that we feel that we do have to deal with. But I feel like oftentimes we take things so seriously, our work, our career, um, our commitments. And sometimes I think we, we let it get the better of us because we, because we take things so seriously, we feel the weight of the world on our shoulders. And we feel like, Oh, the world's going to end if you don't, you know, commit to this chore today or or finish this because we don't want to let people down. And I Mm -hmm. think that's, that's natural for us to, to not want to let other human beings down. But I think at the same time, it comes at the expense of sometimes of self care. And I think it's most important to kind of always check in with yourself to see how you're feeling physically, mentally, and emotionally. And in that way, it's always okay to say no to things and just take care of yourself first and that the world, you have to remember that the world's not going to end if you don't get this one thing done today. So I think, you know, if anything, that's like probably what I would want to tell my past self. (laughs) Oh, that's right. That's so true. Because if you are constantly filling the cups of other people, 
in your own cup is not filled, you're, you're, you're going to feel drained at some point and you have to take care of yourself. I always say that self-care, it's okay to be selfish. You have to be, to be the best mother, the best wife, the best friend, the best cook, the best podcaster, whatever it is that you do, you have to take care of yourself. And oftentimes the things that you feel super obligated to do, most of the time the world is not going to end if you don't do it. And we saw that with COVID, right? The, right. the world the world stopped for the first time ever, in at least in our generation, we were forced right. to stand still and really evaluate what was important to us. And the truth of the matter is that a lot of the things that we thought were important weren't. And life went on and the world didn't stop. If the dishes didn't get done, it's okay. We were alive and we had our health for the most part. You know, um, a lot of people lost mm -hmm. their lives, but we really had to be forced to stand still. Um, on a lighter note, you are a chef and you won master chef. You ended up winning the entire show and did great. And we saw the amazing dishes that you cook, but what is your favorite dish to cook? Hmm. That's a tough one. Um, I tend to say that I enjoy the time in the kitchen the most when I'm trying something new, whether it's playing around with a new ingredient or a new cuisine. Uh, I love learning. So I'm always trying to add more dishes to my repertoire or learn new things. But I guess like if I were to answer in a different way and think about what's something that I always turn to time and time again is actually something I, I like to cook and I love to eat, which is fried rice. And that's because there's something very comforting about fried rice. It's You can take leftovers that you have in your fridge and make a, a one dish meal out of it. You're cooking it in a wok and then you're eating it in one bowl with one spoon. And it's just something simple and comforting. So for me, I feel like fried rice takes care of leftovers in the fridge. And it's always, um, it's one of those dishes where I'll say, even if it's not good, I'll still eat, I'll still eat more than one bite. <laughs> okay. So least favorite food for you. Least favorite food. I'm not a huge fan of cooked salmon. And I think it's because most of my life, a lot of the salmon I've tried has been overcooked. So I've kind of had this adversity towards uh, cooked salmon. I love it raw in like sushi form. I love it smoked, but uh, there's something about just salmon that I don't, I don't especially love, even though it's like really good for you. Uh, but I prefer to eat my salmon in, in raw form. So I'll have to try some fried rice or I've never tried to make it. So I'll have to. And I know that you have a cookbook. So I'm actually really curious of what you're, what are you doing after the show? I know the show was a while back. So what have you been up to since then? And where has your career taken you? Yeah. So as part of the prize of winning MasterChef, I was given the opportunity to write a cookbook, which was really fun because, you know, like I'd mentioned before, I was in grad school for creative writing. So I love writing. And of course, I love food. So being able to write a cookbook was a dream come true. So uh, that's my first cookbook. I've been kind of dabbling with the idea of writing a second cookbook, but I'm not really sure exactly what I want to include in that cookbook yet. But that first cookbook is called Recipes from My Home Kitchen, and it was a New York Times bestseller. So I was really thrilled about that. And it's still quite popular and we still get requests all the time for, for a signed copy for me. So of course that's available online. Um, you can get that through uh, one of my restaurants um, on, on the website at either the blind goat or Sinjiao. 
Uh, and then since then, I've uh, opened two restaurants in Houston. The first one I opened in 2019 called The Blind Goat. And that's sort of like a contemporary Vietnamese eatery where I take a lot of comfort in street foods of Vietnam uh, and kind of do it in a modern uh, setting with some modern ingredients. And then I opened the second restaurant, Xin Jiao, which means hello in Vietnamese. Opened that one in the midst of the pandemic in 2020. And that one is also uh, like a modern Vietnamese restaurant that takes a lot of Texas and Gulf Coast regional ingredients and techniques like barbecue and uh, Gulf Coast seafood. And we infuse that into our Vietnamese uh, dishes. I'm so hungry right now. Now that I'm listening to this, I'm like, that sounds so amazing. So if I'm ever in the Houston area, I'm going to have to come to both of your restaurants to try it. Yes. It sounds so good. So, you know, you've had all these accomplishments. You have gone through so much trial and adversity, and you are just a example of what strength looks like to me. And because I think a lot of people, they go through adversity in their life, and not everybody takes it and makes it into their strength. It's very easy to go through something and live in that victim mentality. And by, you know, there's a lot of things that trauma that happens to us, that's not our fault, but it's up to us what we do with that. If we're going to stay where we are, if we're going to move forward, if we're going to go down a different path. And I think you, you took that. And despite all the odds, you still moved forward and pursued your dreams and your passions with, which a lot of people are afraid to do. So um, I commend you for that. And you are so inspiring on so many levels, looking at everything that has happened in your journey what is your hope for the future for individuals with disabilities in these types of positions moving forward? What would you like to see? I would love to see people who feel like they're marginalized in this world, people living with various uh, disabilities to have a voice. I feel like I've been able to start that process, but I think it takes more than just me. I want people to lift their voices, support each other. And then I think in those ways, uh, people will become more active, for, for example, maybe politically. And then we can make big changes in this world and in this nation by passing certain laws um, that I think can help advance the lives of people living with disabilities. Um, because I always say that as a person with a disability or a vision impairment, to not be able to access certain things the way sighted people can, that that is kind of me not being able to exercise my civil rights. So I think it's important for people with disabilities to lift their voices and support each other. And then together as a whole, try to move the world towards a place that's more inclusive and diverse. I love that. Christine, thank you so much for your time and your energy. And I cannot wait to see that second cookbook so I can try some of those recipes and try your restaurants when I go into Houston. But thank you so much for coming on the show. And I'm going to link everything for everyone to find you, your website, your Instagram, where they can find your restaurants, because I want everyone to get in touch if they want to hear your story and try your delicious food. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.